this week uh, about, a, about a young man who wanted to be a pastor. And, uh, and he had met a young girl, and he had fallen in love with her, and he wanted to marry her. And so he, he goes over to the house, and he needs to win over her dad. And so he goes in, and they sit down. Uh, he's in the chair. Dad's in the chair, and he's sitting on the couch. And the dad says, well, son, what do you, what do you plan on doing? And the son says, I'm going to be a Bible scholar. And the dad goes, okay, well, that's great. Well, what are you going to do for money? And the young man says, God will provide. And so he says, okay, well, well what, what, what are you going to do to buy my daughter a nice ring? And he goes, God will provide. And he says, okay, well, what, what are you going to do when it comes to buying a house? And the young man says, God will provide. And so the father's scratching his head, and he goes, well, what are you going to do when you have kids? And the young man is about to say, God will provide. And the dad goes, I know, God will provide. And so he says, okay, well, you, you have permission to date my daughter. And, 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 of course, the young man leaves, and the mom comes into the room, and she says, well, how did it go? How did it go? And, and, the, and the father says, oh, it went terrible. The man's got no plans, no future, and he thinks I'm God. This is my cheesy morning. <laughs> oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for these incredible people. God, thank you for just the joy and the grace and the laughter. God, we are the march of the unqualified. You do not use perfect people. There are no perfect people. Uh, God, I, I pray that uh, we'd be humble people. We'd be loving people. We'd be accepting people. And that you would open up your word to us this morning uh, that we may drink deep of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Another story about a Texas farmer who was having a conversation with a Wisconsin dairy farmer. And the Wisconsin dairy farmer says, I only need 125 acres to run my farm. And the Texas rancher, this big old cattleman, begins to laugh and he goes, Man, I tell you what, back in Texas on my ranch, I can get in my truck in the morning, and I won't hit the end of my property until sunset. And the Wisconsin dairy farmer kind of chuckles and laughs, and he looks at the Texan, and he says, yeah, I used to have a truck like that, too. <laughs> Bragging rights. Everybody wants them. Everybody wants to... You know, we have this thing, you know, the biggest house, fanciest cars, most impressive wardrobe. For some of you, maybe the most well-behaved children. <laughs> that one, that one. For some of you, it may be top dog. You know, when I went on the men's backpacking trip, I was illuminated to the subtle competitions that were taking place. Why, every time co somebody comes in from fishing... They don't ask, you know, uh, did you have a good time? The first question is, how many fish, right? How many fish did you? Because in the back of their mind, there's a little tally and a little score as to who is going to be king of the lake. Thank you very much. By the way, our very own Derek Watson, I believe, this year was king of the lake. So I just thought I'd point that out. Um, yeah, we can give him a... Yeah. <laughs> he hates it. <laughs> The religious leaders of Jesus' day 
wanted to be looked at and treated as if they were a step closer to God than anybody else. That they had kind of some special bragging rights. That they were kind of king of the, 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 the religious lake and the religious world. In truth, they thought, and Jesus pointed this out, not simply that they had more, but that they were better. And rather than accepting people for who they were, they would often say, what we do is what makes us better, more advanced. The problem is, Jesus was not impressed. As he saw all these religious leaders, they would wear scriptures on their sleeves. They would wear these big, bulky uh, wooden boxes that'd be filled with a part of the Bible. And they would walk around, and people would go, oh, there goes the holy man of God there. And then, as if to add insult to injury, they would stop everybody and say, let us pray to God that he may bless us. And they would constantly draw attention to themselves. And Jesus pulls his disciples over and he says, you don't have to do that. You don't don't have to do that. That's not what this is about. I'm going to ask you, accept people for who they are. Tell people what they can become. Build others up rather than try to build this hierarchy. You remember last year we talked last week we talked about James and John wanting to be top dog in the kingdom of heaven. Well now Jesus is essentially preaching and telling the same message only now he is using the example of the people who wanted to be the alpha pastors. I remember I struggled with this a lot when I was younger. I had a really terrible ego. I don't know why. Maybe it was short man's complex, maybe it was Irish. I don't know. But I just had this this ego. And, and I remember when I got married to my wife, I thought to myself, we need to make some adjustments here. Because, I mean, what, what better gift could I give her than myself, right? And so I remember trying to change my wife. And, and my wife and I are very different. When, when we show up to something, my wife likes to be 15 minutes early. And for me, that just seems like a complete waste of time. I like to be right on time, which is usually five to ten minutes late, right? <laughs> uh, my wife likes to organize things this way, and, and of course, I like to organize things that way. And I used to really begin to struggle with how can I get this woman in line with me? You know, we just need to have an agreement here. What I didn't realize is that subtly, and I, I never saw, I was trying to change her to become more like me. I didn't realize this until we began to have kids. Now, I have three kids. My youngest, Thomas, he's perfect like me. (laughs) He's late to everything. He's scatterbrained. He's spontaneous, you know. But, of course, my older two sons, they're more like their mother. They're organized. They're together. They got it with it. And so we go on family trips. You know, it's, it's two against three, you know, as to how... Things are going to happen. And I've noticed that there's a small part of my heart that is kind of like, all right, Thomas, you and I got a job to do. You know, we got, we got to change this family. <laughs> well, we're on the losing end of that deal already. We're already outnumbered three to two. What's my point? My point is just like these Pharisees that Jesus is talking about, just like the, the farmers that I mentioned 
sometimes we can have bragging rights. Sometimes there's this sense of we got it right. We know the answer. And it becomes very hard to accept people who don't, who don't see things exactly the way we do. And I come to the question, why? Why were the Pharisees so like this? I've met people who struggle with this. And sometimes I wonder if people who have this need to dominate other people, is it because they were never told by someone who mattered to them, you're okay exactly who you are? I remember we had a kid in our youth group, and uh, he was a great kid. But after a while, he wore on me. He was constantly self-congratulatory. You know what I mean? He was constantly telling me all these great things. And after a while, it just seemed like he was trying to prove something to me, you know. And, and, and of course, that was with me. I was his superior. With the other kids, he was trying to dominate them by being better with than them. He was always trying to have to say something good he did or something good that happened. But there was a, a, a bone. He, he came from a divorced family. And it became very apparent to me over time that he was lying about his relationship with his dad. His dad had really abandoned him and really rejected him. And yet he would make up these stories about how he would go fishing with his dad and how his dad would, you know, uh, you know, pull, you know, cuss out the driver next to him because they almost cut him off. His dad was a strong guy. After a while, as I began to talk to the mother, I began to realize that was just an act, just a smokescreen. And yet... The, the desire for affirmation had caused him to lie, caused him to, caused him to misrepresent himself, and he really struggled making friends. He really struggled being a part of the community that we were setting up there. But you know, I think that temptation is in all of us, that temptation to receive affirmation. Can you imagine if you're one of these Pharisees, you walk into a village, the whole village clamors to your attention. The whole village wants to come out and hear what you have to say. I don't care who you are. That's an ego trip. That feels great. When you walk into a room and everybody turns their head, we want to hear what you have to say. That feels wonderful. That can become addicting. You never want to lose that. It's high. It's a euphoric event. Because it's placed on you. So I've kind of seen three kinds of people in this example. And the first kind is people who, who feel like they're, they're so endowed with great things that it's very hard for them to accept others for who they are. Oh, this person. Oh, no, no, no. There, 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 there begins to be a judgmentalism about them. The second thing is people who have so been starving for affirmation, they don't feel like they're good for anybody, so they're willing to try to dominate just in order to get some attention. And then there's the third people. In this day and age, I run to, into this kind of person more and more and more. It's the person who says, I don't care. I don't care. People love me. People hate me. I don't care. Eh, I don't care. That what you think, I don't care. Everything is, I don't care. Is there a God? I don't care. Do you need Jesus? I don't care. Have you thought about your life lately? I don't care. How about your job? I don't care. Almost everything is, I don't, I don't care. It's one of the biggest cop-outs I've ever heard in my life. You do care. You do have an opinion. 
You're just not willing to go there for some reason. But they're, they're, everybody has an instant caring about something. I get really worried about people who say, I don't care to me a lot. You know why? If you don't care about everything, I don't know if I can trust you. I don't know. I mean, I, I care about, there's some things that are important to me, but if you don't care about them, I, I don't know how close we're going to be able to get because I don't, I don't want to set myself up to get hurt, right? You see this woven into the religious leadership of Jesus' day. Some people didn't care about Jesus. They, who cares about this guy from Galilee? Some people, you could definitely tell they were threatened by Jesus. He was receiving a lot more attention than they were. And then others literally thought themselves superior to Jesus and struggled with that sense to dominate. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 23 as we read through this story. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, beginning in verse 1, 23 verse 1, Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Stop right there. What's Jesus' point? These religious leaders had appointed themselves to Moses' seat. He's making a very clear case. God never appointed them to be there. There was no, nothing in the Old Testament that said, and these people shall be your leaders. Now, the line of priests from Levi and Aaron, yes. But by the time we get to Jesus' day, these Pharisees are from everywhere. You could study and go to school and become one of these guys. We know this. Why? Because Paul is from the tribe of Benjamin, not Levi. Those of you who followed that, that's what it was. <laughs> they were self-appointed, not God. They had presumed that God had called them to do this. But they were not necessarily of the priestly line. Jesus says, so be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. In other words, they were harder on others than they are themselves. You ever met people like that? They're harder on others than they are themselves. They're harder on you than they are on them. You know what, you know what the instant reaction, I think, for a lot of people is? You begin to lose respect for that. Come on now. Uh, if you're asking me to tow this line that you're not willing to tow, then what does that make you? They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see, to gain that attention, that affirmation. They want people to see, and this is Jesus saying this. They want people to see them. They want people to affirm them. They've become affirmation junkies. You know, we got heroin junkies, we got uh, meth junkies. We've got the, there are people out there that are affirmation junkies. They literally every day need to hear somebody telling them, you're great, you're wonderful, you're beautiful, oh my goodness. Feeding off of that. The end result is this. We began to perform and everything we do begins to become about getting the attention or affirmation from people. They make their phylacteries wide and tassels on their garments long. These are the long scriptures of the Bible on their clothes. They love the places of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and to be called rabbi by others. Jesus says, but you are not to be called rabbi. 
for you only have one teacher, and you are all brothers. Religious rank or spiritual rank is absurd when Jesus says, as brothers and sisters, we are equal. We are equal at the cross. No one stands higher. No one stands lower. We all stand head to head. Jesus is making a very clear distinction. There are people and there is God. There isn't anybody in between called Pharisees or priests or whatever. And do not call anyone on his father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. Verse 11, the greatest among you will be your servant. And verse 12, this is key. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. God is saying, look, I'm offering you direct access to me. You don't need a priest. These, the, 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 this whole order of Pharisees and Sadducees and leaders of the Jewish law, they're all passing away. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll have one teacher, and that'll be God himself. Now, when, when Jesus says, for everyone who humbles himself will be exalted, and everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, it's not saying that God in any way becomes lower. God is who God is. It's that we begin to recognize who God is and realize our place in the chain of events. I thought it was very interesting. I was watching a, a debate on YouTube the other day about theistic evolution, in other words, evolution that came from God, and non-theistic evolution. And, and the guy who was arguing against non-theistic evolution said this, if non-theistic evolution is correct, then we are God because we are the top of evolution. Human beings are the most advanced biotic form of life with, with, with what we can accomplish and what we can do. So in non-theistic evolution, we become God. When there is no God, we're it. Because to our knowledge, no aliens have showed up yet. We're the best so far. <laughs> what theistic evolution and creation puts in is that we are not at the supreme. There is something higher than us. And that that's something higher is as we acknowledge that to humble yourself is to make lower than what is higher. And that's Jesus's central point this morning. I want to go one more spot, though, before we end today, because as good as this was, the correlating passage in Luke, I believe, is even better. I love Matthew. I've loved him all year. But this time I'm going to give it to Luke. I think he's got a better story here. Go to Luke chapter 18, verse 9, if, uh, if you can. If not, it'll be up on the screen here. And Jesus says this, to some who are confident, or Luke says this, to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Tax collector was a, a horrific person in Jesus' day. Uh, think, think of him like a, a mob boss. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast not once, but twice a week. And I give not a fifth, not a sixth, but a tenth of everything I get. But then the tax collector, well, I got a spider on my 
But then the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I heard this story retold this way. Maybe it'll make more sense. Two pastors come up for prayer during a church service. The first one thinks to himself, Lord God, I am thankful that I'm not like this rookie pastor over here. He cannot lead worship. He can't read Greek. He probably doesn't even know about Rick Warren's purpose-driven church or Joel Osteen's friendship evangelism. He probably doesn't know about John Maxwell's leadership or Bill Heibel's method of prayer. His ministry could never be as effective as mine. Thank you, Lord, that you have made me an effective pastor and helped me to publish soon so that I may help others. Let's get the word out. <laughs> the other pastor with tears in his eyes, praise, Lord God, I don't know what I'm doing. I've seen what you do through others. But I pray that you would work through me. But it's got to be you. And that I may show other people how you could work through them. You, not me. I have not wisdom, nor strength, nor power. But you do. Flow through me that I may be used by you. I need you, God. For every breath I breathe, I need you. Please have mercy on me. Without your mercy, I'm nothing. Now tell me. Which pastor would you want to follow? The second one? The fact is, and this is the truth that I'll confess to you this morning, I struggle with both. I don't struggle with the second one. I struggle being both. There's a side of me I can exalt myself so quickly. I studied Greek inside and out. I've read all these books, been to all those conferences, spent eight years of higher education. And the the temptation is, God, I can do this. I can do this. I really don't need you. I mean, I want you around, but I mean, don't bother yourself. You don't go out of your way. I mean, I, I got it. I'm good. I'm okay. I'm ready to go, man. And there's a second one, God, the very breath I breathe, I need from you. For everyone who humbles himself shall be, God wants to exalt every single one of you. But the way he wants to do it is through humility, not through pride. So I want to encourage you this morning, encourage you so strongly. Accept people for who they are. Avoid doing things in your own strength. I understand. If you're here this morning and you don't believe in God, you're just checking out God, that's the only strength you're going to do something in. I get that. 
I, I wasn't a believer in God for a long time. That's how I lived life. In fact, how I came to God was when I realized my own strength wasn't enough. And somebody offered me additional strength. In the beginning, when I got in with God, it was simply because I wanted some, something more in my life. Never dreamed and realized that I would actually meet what life is. And so this morning, I want to invite you to receive that into your heart and to move forward, allowing God to make you higher as we make ourselves lower. Amen? Bow your heads with me. Worship team, come forward. We're going to close with a song, but before we do, I, I just think it's important to always give an opportunity for anyone who ever comes to our services to invite the Holy Spirit into their heart for the first time and for forever. And so this morning, could we all pray this together? Just say, Lord Jesus, I invite you into my heart afresh for the first time or for forever. I repent of my sins. I make you my Lord and I receive the Holy Spirit being born again in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me and let's close with a song.